I'd like to welcome all of you once again and a happy Memorial Day weekend. A special thanks to all of those who are grieving the ones that have been killed, who have given their lives in service to their country, whether military or police, or even nowadays our first responders who are the first line warriors out there with the police and the military serving our country. And so we just want to open this time with a word of prayer. Our God, thank you for the specialness of this weekend that we remember those who have made the ultimate sacrifice throughout the centuries to give us our freedom, our freedom, Lord, to speak out, our freedom to worship, our freedom of this country that you have blessed and you've protected. But most of all, Lord, we thank you for the freedom that Jesus Christ has brought, who is our ultimate memorial because he died on the cross for our sins. So help us, Lord, now to look into your word, to figure out how to relate to you a little more closely as we talk to you in prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I would once again invite you to turn to your outline that's accompanied with either the YouTube video, you'll see the link, or on www.chawilaefree.org. Well, today we're going to be talking about prayer as life. So let me ask you, have you ever wondered, does prayer really make a difference? I mean, isn't God going to do whatever he wants anyway? I mean, after all, he's God. Or is prayer just us asking for what we want? Well, after several years of ministry, I discovered that my prayer life was really more about reciting a list of requests to God. It was me voicing complaints and worries to God. It's not that I didn't love God, I did, but it's just that sometimes my prayer life, well, it felt like mm, a duty, a supposed to, more than a life-giving experience. Well, then I met a group of people who prayed with passion. They proclaimed spiritual truth over me that refreshed and restored my soul like I had never experienced. I discovered prayer as spiritual warfare and prayer as relationship with God. So if a growing relationship with God should capture our hearts and, and not just information for our head, then prayer is a key resource. It's how we communicate with God. It's how we relate to God. So how do we pray in a way that experiences God's heart? Well, let's look first. We're going to be looking at four different passages, basically. And so the first one is James chapter 5, verses 16 through 17. James 5, verses 16 and 17. This is what that says. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Elijah was a man just like us. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. So how could Elijah stop the rain for three and a half years? 
Well, I've thought about that, and I think it's because he partnered with God to activate God's power according to God's will. So it was Elijah's righteous character. It was that something going on inside of him that connected him on a different level to God than the people around him. So he could discern that it was God's will to stop the rain. But you have to ask yourself, how did Elijah develop that kind of a character? How did that come about? Well, if you look in 1 Kings chapter 17, you'll see that I think Elijah's character was forged in isolation. It was next to a brook during an extended drought and famine that was kind of one of those things where he just went with God and he had knew God's will when he had declared that it would not rain until he said so because God would tell him. But it was these experiences like having to depend on God, living next to a brook, being fed by birds. So through this drought, through this famine, through this time of of neediness, and then later on uh, when he was moved to another place with the widow where he saw oil and flour that was multiplied, these experiences helped God develop Elijah's character so he could pray like he did. See, an effective prayer has the power because it flows from a righteous life because God has poured into us. And so if we are praying according to the righteousness God is building in our heart, we discern what God's will is and we can join him. See, prayer is a partnership, a partnership between God and us, and that partnership releases his power. Do you want a more effective prayer life? Do you want your prayers to be more effective? My answer is then great, then seek God in building that righteous character where you learn to partner with him, and learn to discern what he wants. There's a man named Dale Matthews. He's the author of The Faith Factor, a doctor. And Dale, in his book, The Faith Factor, estimates that 75% of studies on spirituality have confirmed that prayer has health benefits. Here's what he says, quote, If prayer were available in pill form, no pharmacy could stock enough of it. Dozens of studies have shown that individuals who pray regularly and attend religious services stay healthier and live longer than those who rarely or never do, end quote. He found that patients in hospital heart units who were prayed for by strangers had fewer complications. A review of 23 studies, not just 23 people, 23 studies of intercessory prayer involving 2,774 patients found a positive effect in 57% of cases, more than those not prayed for. So prayer is an active partnership. It's not a casual consumer just kind of sitting back waiting to get something. So here's the first point on your outline that I hope you have printed off or are following along. Number one, prayer joins God in accomplishing his plan. Prayer joins God in accomplishing his plan. Prayer is not a way to manipulate something for myself. Instead, prayer is a chance to do something significant for God's kingdom. 
We are God's representatives on earth, and God wants us to pray his will into specific situations, into specific people's lives. So again, I have questions if you can stop your phone or your player or your computer or however you're listening or watching this, and I want you to talk with the people around you. How do you see prayer as participation? How do you see prayer as participation? A bonus question is, do you believe that your prayers can make a difference? So take that time for a few minutes and talk about that and then come back. Well, Jesus gave another principle of prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. This is in his last few hours. In Matthew chapter 26, verse 41, Jesus says to his disciples, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Now, an important job in an ancient city was the watchman. He stood on the city wall and constantly was scanning the horizon. He was looking for approaching danger. The security of the whole city depended on him. Remember, these were walled cities. So at the crossroads of human history, as Jesus prayed to his father, he asked three of his disciples to watch and pray. Now watch here means to stay awake, to be alert, to prevent disaster. So that got me to thinking, what were the disciples supposed to be watching for? Watching for the soldiers coming? Watching for Satan coming into the garden to tempt Jesus? But Jesus tells us, he says, so that you won't fall into temptation. He told them that, to pray against temptation. See, this was a, a time of great spiritual danger for the disciples. So Jesus is saying, like, I want you to be watchmen on the spiritual wall of my kingdom. But unfortunately, these watchmen fell asleep. It was late. They had a busy day, had a big Passover meal shortly before this. So they fell asleep. I would have fallen asleep. But I wonder if the disciples had stayed awake and watched and prayed, would they have not run away a few minutes later at Jesus' arrest? Would they have remained at the crucifixion instead of hiding? Would they have understood the resurrection sooner? Well, we don't know, but Jesus said, watch and pray against temptation. See, being a spiritual watchman goes against our natural tendencies. It's a battle to stay spiritually alert, to keep constantly watching for danger. And, you know, today we're weary and worn down of the coronavirus, of news of economic instability, of recession, of job losses, and we're weary of a polarized nation and we get tired maybe of praying. And yet, God wants us to stay engaged as a spiritual watchman in prayer. So, I'll ask you, are you still praying? Are you still engaged, even though you might feel fear, discouragement, frustration? Are you still praying? Because that's what God has called us to do. We greatly underestimate the power of prayer to change lives. The word intercession can also be used for a boundary. 
So praying against temptation like Jesus had commanded, it's building a spiritual boundary that prevents danger. So that's the second point on our outline. Prayer builds boundaries of protection. Prayer builds boundaries of protection. Now being a prayer watchman means that I have to push through my fleshly tendencies. I can just share personally that sometimes I feel like I don't have time. Do you ever feel like that? I tell myself, well, I'll catch up on my my tasks that are pressing in, and I'll do that now, and then I'll pray after the tasks are done, and then I'll focus better. I'll pray later. But then at the end of the day, I find I didn't pray, and I say to myself, well, you know, I've worked long and hard today, and I need to relax and unwind first. And then the times when I do pray, I get sleepy. I even fall asleep sometimes, if, especially if it's in the morning and I didn't get good sleep the night before. So I'm like the disciples. Or I'm praying and my mind wanders. I get distracted thinking of all the things I have to do. See, there are so many barriers to prayer. Satan uses these barriers to unrelentingly block prayer because he knows it's the most powerful thing we can do spiritually. And Satan doesn't want that. So why is it so hard to pray? Well, Satan opposes us. Our flesh opposes us. The world opposes us. Because it is the most powerful spiritual thing that we can do. A prayer watchman is sensitive to what's going on around them. A prayer watchman tunes into spiritual danger. And it means being spiritually discerning of the Holy Spirit's whisperings and guidings. So we are a spiritual guide when we build that boundary of protection. We are warning against danger like the watchman on the wall. I'll tell you a true story that illustrates this point. Bob, name of a guy, he goes camping every year, kind of has his own little retreat on the same ranch at the edge of the mountains. So Bob checks in with his rancher friend and and he's going to drive across his ranch and and go into the mountains and set up his camp like he does every year. But this time the rancher says, you know, you better let me ride with you in the truck. I, I want to show you something. Now, a lot of men would think this, like, look, I've been here before. I don't need your help. I know how to drive. So Bob and his friend, Bob didn't do that. He said, sure. And his friend and him were driving in Bob's truck, and they're in this wide, flat field. And then suddenly his rancher friend says, okay, stop right here. He looks around, all he can see is a wide pasture stretching up to the dusky foothills. So these two get out of the truck and they begin walking. And then after they've walked a little bit on the road, the rancher puts his hand on Bob's shoulder and he says, okay, I want you to look ahead. So Bob walks carefully forward a few steps and then he stops dead in his tracks. And right across the road, hidden in the pasture, is this humongous black volcanic crevice. It's like 35 feet across. He can't see how how long it goes uh, because it, it's just winding its way through the pasture in this little ravine that was hidden. So Bob peers over the edge of this crevice, this volcanic crevice, and the hair on his neck stood up. He could not see the bottom of the crevice. So Bob marveled and he thought, 
how difficult it was to see the crevice from only a few feet away. Having a guide saving his life, he would have driven his truck into that crevice where he can't see the bottom. So Bob gained a new appreciation for a man who knew the terrain, knew the danger, and knew where to set a boundary and park the truck. And that's what we're like as a prayer watchman. We're looking for spiritual crevices. Now, some of them, you know, they might be easy to see, but they're places where an unsuspecting follower of Jesus Christ might fall into harm. So when you pray, you set a boundary. And you set a boundary not just for the obvious crevices that are easy to see, though those are important, like, you know, one that I think everybody would agree, drug and alcohol abuse, it can creep into a life and enslave. And that's an obvious crevice. But there are more subtle crevices, like especially nowadays, overwhelming fears and frustrations in this time of crisis that just draws on. There's the spiritual crevice of materialism where that becomes our focus. And there are those who say that's how you mark God's blessing. Is is he blessing you materially? But that's wrong. It's a spiritual trap. It's a crevice. There's the spiritual crevice of individualism where I'm putting myself first. I'm looking at how am I going to protect myself, promote myself. There's the spiritual crevice of tribalism. I've used that word before. It's where I value my group, and so I only hang around people like me. And then, I think we've seen a lot of this lately, there's a spiritual crevice of entitlement. It's about my rights. And so, what crevices spiritually are you currently facing? That's the question. So you can stop your player and talk with your group. What crevices are you currently facing? How will you pray for boundaries of protection like a watchman? Do you believe praying for our church and community and nation, are you building a boundary of protection? Do you believe that? I hope you do. Well, our third point, we're going to find that in Luke chapter 18, and Jesus is going to tell a parable. Jesus told them a parable It says in verse 1 of Luke 18, Jesus told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, in a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. Verse 4, for a while... He, the judge, refused, but afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice, so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. Verse 6, And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says, and will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Now, some read this parable and they say, well, you know, if you want to get your prayers answered, you got to pester and nag God. But in Matthew chapter 6, verse 7, Jesus taught that long prayers, useless repetitions, they're not going to make us hear God any better. So this prayer is not telling us to nag God. This parable is a contrast. We have the the godless, self-centered judge 
and we have the righteous God who wants to answer the prayers of his people. See, the widow was ignored by society. But in contrast, we are God's family. We are adopted into his family and valued as his children, as his sons and daughters. And so there's these contrasts in this parable to teach us that God wants to answer our prayers. The widow wanted basic justice and protection. She's not asking for some special advantage, but she prevailed because she did not give up. She kept asking. See, we lose heart in prayer because we don't understand who God is and what God is doing. See, we want to know, you know, when we pray, we want to know when and where and how. And, but this parable is teaching us about God's character, about God's timing. See, God is a loving father who wants his children to keep pressing into him. See, keep persisting because we're pressing into deeper relationship with God. It's not about nagging. It's about pressing into God because we want to join him in what he's doing. We trust him. We know that he loves us as his children. I love this little phrase in Revelation chapter 5, verse 8. I'll just read that to you. It says, golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. So when the bowl is full of that prayers of incense, does it tip over? And a guy named Dutch Sheet says, maybe that's God tipping over the bowl when it reaches a certain point and he answers those prayers and pours out that bowl in answer to our persistent prayers. So point number three, prayer persists in seeking God. Prayer persists in seeking God. So our first point, prayer joins God in accomplishing his plans. Prayer builds boundaries of protection And then now prayer persists in seeking God. So do you believe God wants to answer your prayers because he loves you and he wants what's best? Are you willing to persist in praying into individuals, into situations in our community and in our nation and in our world? Are you persistent in keeping on praying? So here's the next question for your group. Is prayer an opportunity to seek God for you? Or do you get discouraged that God is not answered how and when you want? Is prayer an opportunity to seek God? Or alternately, do you get discouraged that God is not answered how and when you want when you pray? So talk about that in your group. And then finally, we're going to look in 1 Timothy chapter 2. Verses 1 and 2. Verse 1 says, I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people. Now notice verse 2. For kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. So first, let me just ask, are you praying for our government leaders? All levels, local, state, national. You know, there's a lot of people voicing their discontent out there. They're protesting, and that's our right to protest in lawful and legal ways. But are we spending a lot of time, or at least some time, praying 
for these government leaders that we're protesting. Because scripture tells us to do that. And we should be obeying and following that. Well, Timothy, in verse 1, lists all kinds of different prayers. And there are different kinds of prayer, just like there's different kinds of conversations that we have with different people. And I've mentioned before, and I'll mention again, an approach to prayer. And it's in an acronym. And, and it's going to be A-C-T-S. But you can do them in any order that you want. But here's what the A-C-T-S stands for. But first, let me give you point four. Prayer practices a variety of forms. Prayer practices a variety of forms. So again, in review, when we're looking at prayer as life, prayer joins God in accomplishing his plan. Prayer builds boundaries of protection. Prayer persists in seeking God. And finally, prayer practices a variety of forms. So let's look at those four. And this is not a magic formula. It's just a way to put some variety into your praying. Start with adoration. That's the first A of A-C-T-S. Adoration, praising God for who he is. It's a great way when you start praying. I know for me, I need to start and center my focus off of myself and onto God. And adoration, praising God and his attributes and his character and who he is. C is for confession. Confession is where we admit our failings. We admit our faults. We admit our weaknesses to God and we say, God, I keep doing this thing or, oh, I blew it in this way. And we kind of cleanse ourselves. We clear the way to be able to talk to God and hear him better. So we confess like 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So sometimes we have to clear the decks. Confession of the C of A-C-T-S. Then T is for thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is where we express gratitude for our blessings. Now, sometimes I actually start with thanksgiving because you know, there might be things before I adore God I want to thank him for because it just is a, a more natural point for me at that particular day to start with just thanking God, just being aware with gratitude. And there have been lots of studies on an attitude of gratitude and how it helps our mental health. It helps our outlook. And so that's A, adoration, C, confession, T, thanksgiving, and then finally, the S in A-C-T-S is for supplication, which means to petition or make requests for God to move. Often, this is the main one that we do, or we start with this. This is the main focus when, it's like, you know, people that have, are really worried and they just want God to intervene. But I would suggest if you first kind of spend some time worshiping who God is and what he's done, of looking at who you are, then bring your requests to God. Now imagine if supplication or asking for things was the main focus of your prayer, like it is for many people. But what if your marriage, I mean, when you're married, it, you're mostly in your marriage isn't asking your spouse to do things for you. It's not like giving them a list of honeydew lists and things like that. And if that's the main part of, you know, we just do chores, you know, that you can have a roommate and share those kinds of things. A marriage is a relating to, it's a talking, it's a sharing of hearts. And same with God. So A-C-T-S, adoration, confession, 
thanksgiving and supplication. So if we pray, we're to pray the same thing, the same way every time, then we would soon be praying without thinking. So how do you talk with God? Is it formal prayers? And those are okay. Those have their place. Or the same style of prayer each time? Because, again, that can get routine and we do it without thinking. But I would suggest and ask the question, do you talk with God like you talk with a friend in a conversational way? And do you have that kind of relationship with God? A conversational prayer where you talk. And just like with the friends, you talk about different things at different times. Well, let me close with a story. In the city of Rangoon, Burma, which is now Myanmar, there was a large bronze bell. It was the pride of the great Buddhist temple in Rangoon. And during a war, the bell sank into a river that was right there next to the temple. And over the years, various engineers tried very unsuccessfully to raise the bell from the, from the mud of the river bottom. At last, a priest asked permission to try so he could return the bell to the temple. Well, the priest had his assistants, and he had a lot of them. He had them gather thousands of bamboo rods. And one by one, the rods were fastened to the bell. They would tie little strings, and they attach these bamboo rods to the bell. And after a while, these pieces would want to float. And when they put enough of those bamboo rods the bamboo pieces floated the bell from the mud of the river to the surface of the stream. A.B. Simpson, he wrote this, quote, faith can lift the heaviest of burdens and the highest of mountains. Every whisper of believing prayer is like one of the little bamboo rods, end quote. So I close with this. When you stop believing that a prayer will be answered, then you give up hope. And when you give up hope, you stop praying. So what situations, what people have dropped off of your prayer list? And the question, the last question, if you want to talk about it in group, and then we'll come back and pray. But how can you press more into God in prayer? How can you press more into God in prayer? Let's close in prayer together as we think about prayer as life. Lord God, we thank you that we can talk to you, that you're not the distant God of other world religions, an impersonal force, or a, a God who is so far above us in Islam that um, you, you, you don't relate to us, but God, you live in us personally. You want to talk to us. You want us to talk to you. You want this kind of a dynamic prayer relationship where we join you to discern your will. That, Lord, we are watchmen putting a spiritual boundary out. Lord, that we persist in our prayer. And that our prayer, Lord, is natural like a conversation, not just a rote memorized, scripted prayer. So God, let us press into you so we can know what to pray and how to pray because it will draw us closer to your heart. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
Well, I have one final little message that today is my last sermon with Chihuahua Evangelical Free Church. I have been the interim pastor for a year. When I came in May of 2019, I signed a one-year contract, and that one-year contract is now up. It's been a day or two short, 365 days. So we will say goodbye to you. We thank you for letting me be your interim pastor these 12 months. I pray that God will direct you and Chihuahua Evangelical Free Church, especially in your pastoral search. We don't have any immediate plans, but we do want to volunteer to serve families here in Spokane that are affected by the pandemic, and we look forward to what God has in store for us next. So bye for now.